Hi, and welcome to the Overflow Podcast. I'm Chuck Ammons, teaching pastor at Overflow Church in Brandon, Florida, and we are here to help you receive the Father's love and to release it to everyone you encounter everywhere. Wherever you're listening from today, your God adores you. I pray this message elevates and ignites your faith. On this podcast, you will find biblical messages to activate your faith, as well as our You Asked For It series, where we address your questions about trusting God's goodness as Father and living out His fullness as beloved sons and daughters. To find out more about Overflow Church, visit us at myoverflowchurch.com or on Facebook at Overflow Church Brandon. We'd also love to encourage you to check out our book, Life in the Overflow, and its accompanying devotional at Amazon.com. So as we continue today, we live in the midst of what has been called the information age. Did you know right now that globally, 16 million text messages are exchanged per minute? In that same 60 seconds, we receive 156 million emails. Now, most of those are from some distribution list that we didn't even know we signed up for and we don't want, or it's the king of Nigeria asking for our American Express card. By the end of 2022, it is projected that there will be 94 zettabytes of stored data. That is 94 followed by 21 zeros or a trillion gigabytes of data. That much information would be enough to fill 23.2 trillion DVDs, which when stacked on top of one another would reach the moon and back 58 million times. If you tried to download all of the world's information with a standard internet connection, it would take 1.8 billion years just to load. If you have spectrum, that may fluctuate by another billion. 90% of the world's information has been produced in the last two years. And every 48 hours, we get as much new intel as between the dawn of civilization and 2003. In fact, the amount of data you will see, read, and interact with today is as much as a human being living in the 1500s experienced in their entire lifetime. And all of that info has left us with a very significant problem. We have 7.5 billion self-proclaimed experts on any number of issues under the sun. Nutrition, mental health, finance, politics, philosophy, business, religion. Everybody's an expert because we saw a documentary. We listened to a podcast. We read an article. It's a problem I like to refer to as being Wikipedia PhDs. Now, you're probably familiar with Wikipedia. You likely used it at some point. Founded in January of 2001, Wikipedia came as the encyclopedia for the digital age, and it departed from its predecessors in three significant ways. Number one, it didn't require 28 volumes of shelf space in your dining room like Britannica did. Anybody remember that? 
about your whole dining room, 28 volumes, and you'd be searching forever just to find something. No, Wikipedia came and said, every topic will be available at the simple click on your computer, online, and instant. Number two, Wikipedia offered itself as completely free and accessible to everyone. And number three, Wikipedia is open source, meaning that anyone with an account can contribute or edit regardless of their education or experience. Which reminds me of an ironic quote from the office's Michael Scott, who says, Wikipedia is the best thing ever. Anyone in the world can write anything they want about any subject, so you know you're getting the best possible information. <laughs> but that is where we are as a culture. We have a maddening sense of self-confidence in our view of the world based on the script we're writing ourselves. But Isaiah 5.21 says this. It says, woe to those who are wise in their own eyes and clever in their own sight. The root of all sin is pride. I base my world on me. I'm going to provide for me. I'm going to promote me. I'm going to protect me. I'm only going to trust people who sound like me. See, in this case, it's what we think we know that's killing us. In this cultural shift that has taken place, no one is listening anymore to anything anyone is saying other than what aligns with what we already see. It's an echo chamber. A mob of moral superiority convinced that we alone hold the answers humanity needs. It's a period on a sentence where a comma was required. It's a monologue where dialogue was necessary. It's confirmation bias. Confirmation bias is the tendency to interpret new evidence as confirmation of one's existing beliefs or theories. And it always makes our world small. We only watch shows or read books that look like me. We only subscribe to news that confirms my viewpoint and vilifies the viewpoints of my opponents. We go to church where they sing my kind of music and the preacher comes with a weekly Jesus vitamin to reinforce everything in the world as I already see it so that I could sit silently and say amen in my seat. But if ever they step on my toes or challenge me to grow, it's time for me to go. And it's all too common of a tale. And before long, many of us quoting the Bible have reached the place where we've reduced our relational reach to nothing more than little communities of commiseration. Little groups of people that get together and complain about everyone that, quote, just doesn't get it. And we become so insulated and so inflated that we fail to see that we're incapacitated. That we've become nothing more than the blind leading the blind in the same ditch. But praise God. Somebody say praise God. Praise God. Somebody say praise God. praise God. There is a way out. First, we can recover the art of true community. We recover the art of true community. We choose 
to walk with people who desire the same thing as us, but see the world very differently. They come from diverse backgrounds and gifts and perspectives and not getting around them so that we can convert them to our narrow way, but so we could get around one another and get a glorious, wider capacity to experience the greatness of God through a larger lens. We recover the art of true community. Number two, we can rediscover the heart of true humility. We can rediscover the heart of wonder, of childlike faith that carries ourselves not as the experts of creation, but with the expectancy of children. My son Bradley just started at college and he got a job at the library. So I told him, I said, you know, but I'm betting what they're going to do is your, your uniform is going to be a sweater and glasses. And then when you get in, your training is just one session. And all you need to know is two moves with your pointer finger. One, you point people out. And two, shh, you shush them, right? It's the whole picture. Every picture we ever get of a librarian, right? It's you, shh, quiet. But you know what? As I've thought about it more, I think I get it. When you step into a library, you're surrounded by a great, cloud of witnesses. There are thousands of voices all around you that have dedicated their lives and somehow and sometimes taken it all the way to death to discover the answers you currently seek. And when you're in the presence of all of that, it's pretty foolish to do all the talking, don't you think? So, shh, be quiet. But it's got me thinking, what if the world is God's library? And what if we desperately need to learn how to quiet our souls so that we can hear again? Psalm 19.1 says this. It says, The heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of his hands. Day after day they pour forth speech. Night after night they reveal knowledge. God, our creator, is great and powerful. He is grace and patience. He's love and hope. He's laughter and peace. He is joy and strength and tenderness and freedom. And everything he made at every moment is in some way echoing his goodness. And it's not just the rocks that are crying out. It says that from the lips of children and infants, he has ordained praise. What does it mean? It means we've all, all of creation has been marked with the fingerprints of God, which means that you and I and our club and our denomination and our building don't hold exclusive rights to truth. Because the majesty and the mystery of God is bigger than the vessel of your education or your emotions or your experience to be able to hold. What you get has to overflow out because there's so much more glory than you could possibly contain. And yet, every early morning and every sunset, every work shift at a job you don't like, and every errand you wish you didn't have to run. Every meal that you make and every neighbor of every age and life stage is crying out wonders of God you don't yet know, and you and I are going to miss it if we keep running through the library believing it's our job to teach, not learn. In an age of Wikipedia PhDs, we desperately need to learn to listen. 
And this morning, there's three ways that I want to help equip us. The first is this. We need to learn to listen to God. Psalm 46.10 says, Be still and know that I am God. I love the Passion Translation. It says, Cease your striving and you will know that I am God. Rest. Stop talking and you'll discover me. The God we serve is continually speaking. He said this. He said, my sheep hear my voice and I lead them. I mean, goodness gracious, Jesus' name is the word, the message from God to man. And whether you know it or not, God is always speaking to your soul. It's been such passion for us as a church to equip people to hear and recognize and respond to the voice of God. We actually wrote a 50-day devotional together, and I'll throw up a, a link of it real, real quick here. We wrote a 50-day identity devotional that literally is just helping you develop the rhythm of being still, learning how to discern God's voice, learning how to know and be equipped in God's promises, in his word, in your life, or in the Holy Spirit that's in you. And I want to say, if that's you, if you're going, I'm hearing that God speaks, but I, I just don't know how to recognize the voice of God, or I get busy, and I don't know how to get there. I just want to encourage you, get this devotional, it'll equip you. But that said this morning, there's something much more foundational to our learning to listen than our training. It's our temperament. It's our outlook on what we believe this life is supposed to be. See, when Jesus was asked about true greatness and what it looked like. He called a toddler to sit in his lap, and he told us that what each of us must do is we must change and become, again, like children. And so I would say this for you and I, and I say it with a wealth of love. Right now, we are either growing up in childlike faith or we are acting out in childish faith. Right now, we're either growing up in childlike faith or we're acting out in childish faith that refuses to mature. How do we know the difference? Child, childish faith sees through the lens of scarcity. There's only so much to go around. And I know that I'm in by identifying who's out. Childish faith expects conformity. You have to join my club, my way, to get what I found. And once you do, there's immense pressure to only listen to people who are already the inside of your club. Otherwise, you will be warned that everything you're hearing is a slippery slope because, goodness gracious, how could somebody who doesn't even bear the name of Jesus say something that would be true? That was ironic for those of you who didn't laugh. Sadly, that would be a picture of American evangelicalism. We hear that and go, wait a second. You mean a Buddhist could see something about truth? Psalm 19, all of creation is crying out. Thank you, Jesus. <laughs> it's giving an echo in this place. I don't know what just happened there. Psalm 19, all of creation is crying out. The mantra of childish faith is keep your head down. Stay with the pack. It's scary out there. Childish faith demands certainty. We have to have all the answers. There's no room for doubt. There's no room for wrestling. We have to be right, and so do they. If somebody comes in and they ask the wrong question, we will question their allegiance, or we may even ask them to leave. But I'm just wondering this. In American evangelical thought over the last few hundred years, do you think that maybe perhaps our obsession to understand everything is nothing more than a form of control driven by fear? The sin 
of certainty. It's actually a sign we're still immature. We don't actually trust the God of wonder, so we try instead to tame him. We search for checklists where we can perform and check off all the items because that's the only way that I'll know that I passed the test. We'll compare to everybody else and how their test scores are doing to ours so that we can climb the ladder a little bit higher. And it's why there are many people that won't walk through the doors of any church because they've seen that most religion is crippling because it's rooted in fear. But Jesus came as the perfect love that would cast out fear. But listen, when you will only trust the God you can tame, his mystery becomes your misery because your security was in your certainty. This is trading faith in the Father with faith in my faith. Hear what I'm saying. When you will only trust God, when you can fully understand him, when you can say, I know all the Bible promises, I know everything, when you will only trust him because you can tame him, then every time God shows up in your circumstances to answer your prayers in a way you didn't think, you will cry out, woe is me. His mystery will be your misery because your security was your certainty. And at the end of all of it, what we're going to find is we're not walking with faith in our Father. We're walking in faith in my faith, faith in my system, faith in my performance. Look how well I believe. Childish faith becomes nothing more than a fear-based fraternity worshiping a tiny God. <laughs> That's good. i got to say that again. Childish faith becomes nothing more than a fear-based fraternity serving a tiny God. God, and it's evidence that we haven't yet matured. On the other side, childlike faith believes that the glory of God has been painted everywhere. And so when we get up every day, we're like a little kid at Disney World for the first time. It's head up, eyes wide, eager to take it all in. And we are totally comfortable not having all the answers. I mean, goodness gracious, have you ever seen a kid at Disney World for the first time? They didn't plan the trip. They didn't save for months to budget and afford it. They didn't navigate the route down I-4 to miss any of the traffic. They don't walk in first and demand that they consult the Imagineers to test how everything was built on the ride before they agree to ride it. And they have no clue if that $14 pretzel fits in the meal budget. And you know what? They're not worried. They just grab their dad's hand and run, grateful that they can be alive and be with him on this playground of discovery. That's what it is to listen to God. It's wonder that looks for the Father everywhere. And wherever you see it somewhere new, you add it to your worldview and your capacity increases. Childlike faith is being okay with God's revelation, being like a run-on sentence that at times seems to be a contradiction. You come in and you say, my God is grace, and yet he's truth. And he's mercy, and yet he's completely just. And he's higher than the heavens, and yet he's closer than my closest breath. And he's a complete mystery, and yet he's completely knowable, and he's good. And yet sometimes he leads me through valleys of the shadow of death that don't feel good. And I need to choose to believe that his goodness and mercy follow me all the days of my life. And one day as I hold on, I will see that death was just a shadow. And so today, I don't even need to understand how it fits together. It just is. 
Learning to listen is re-engaging creation as a child. It's a wide-eyed wonder that holds his hand. It's a vulnerability that's safe, again, with any question. I want to tell you, 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 sometimes we get to the place where we're expressing doubts, and I've had so many people come to me with their heads down when they're expressing doubt. Let me just say something about your doubts. The fact that you have a question about something tells me that you love your God more than anything, and you're not willing to have a trite, empty, faceless faith. That's amazing. That's growth. That's maturity. But if you have childish faith, you will be afraid of your questions and doubts. When you have childlike faith, you'll understand that the God that you worship, who's above all, has your hand. You don't have to understand the whole theme park. You can just run. Childlike faith is the ability to stay in the process of refining faith without fear. Childlike faith is the ability to hear a new perspective and let go of, maybe it's a slippery slope, let go of the tongue's need to immediately jump in and correct Childlike faith is letting go of the control of needing to understand how it fits together anymore and being able to just turn your ear to the echo of your creator. If we're going to walk free in an age where everybody's an expert, the very first thing we need to do as the people of God is, shh, be quiet. He's speaking everywhere. We need to learn to hear his echo. The second one is this. We need to learn to listen to others. Now, I know there's at least one mom or dad in the room going, amen, glory, hallelujah, for the sake of your child. We need to learn to listen to others. Proverbs 19.20 says this. It says, listen to advice and accept discipline, and at the end, you will be counted among the wise. What's it saying? It says that we need to adopt the track record where we listen way more than we talk in our relationships. We need to be able to listen to advice, even when it's different than what we wanted. We need to be able to listen to correction, even when it's really hard to hear. And then it says that at the end, we'll be found as wise. See, I think the problem is this, and I'm preaching to myself here. I think there are too many of us that want to be counted as wise, but we haven't reached the end of the revelation that God is giving yet. We want so badly to host Thanksgiving dinner, but we yanked the turkey out of the oven before the timer sounded, and we're wondering why what we're serving is making all of our guests sick. The problem is we've got too many teachers who never learned first how to be a good student. But wisdom is a lifetime of listening to others. And now maybe somebody will ask the question, say, okay, Pastor Chuck, but here's, here's the deal. How do I develop a lifestyle of listening to others when so many people say so many stupid things? <laughs> Anybody with me there? I mean, am I the only one? You're like, just go on Facebook, five minutes. You're like, wow, wow, we could all use a tutor. I hear you, but I want to say this. On this long road of faith that we need to walk together, hand in hand, there are two ditches that we desperately need to avoid. One would be the ditch named subscription, the other would be the ditch named suspicion. The ditch of subscription is this. It's when we uncritically adopt the worldview of the masses. The theology du jour. And what you'll find is whether you're on the right side or the left side of the aisle, there are sentiments about God and life and love that are popular. They're trending. There are lots of people jumping on the bandwagon, and yet they lead to death. See, we have an enemy 
and he has an agenda to spread heartbreak like a virus on earth, and he does it by provoking the masses to urgent, uneducated calls for uniform action. He spreads a virus by making it go viral. We have to remember it took less than a week for the crowds to change their shouts about Jesus to Hosanna to crucify him when they chose a murderer in his place. Brian Zahn says it this way. He said, the majority is almost always wrong. The crowd is untruth. So when we look in the midst of all these trending truths that are coming, all these positions we're supposed to take, what do we do? Here's how we navigate. When the crowd calls to you and I to follow, we need to stop and ask, does the fruit of their life look like the tree I want to become? And if it doesn't, then stop feeding on the fertilizer they're putting out. It's a nice way to say, stop putting up with that crap, right? If the fruit of their life does not look like the tree you want to become, stop feeding on the fertilizer they're planted in. We've got to get away from the ditch of subscription where we uncritically accept everything we hear just because it's popular. The crowd is almost always wrong. Persons are smart. People together can be very dumb. Watch any sporting event you go to. <laughs> the second is the ditch of suspicion. The ditch of suspicion is critically alienating an entire population based on preconceived conclusions or prior experiences with one or a few from that group. We do this with race, with class, with nationality, with gender. But I watch today that we especially do this with the generation coming before or behind us. I hate the term generation gap because it's our enemy that is the divider. And I believe this. I believe he sees the transformative power of a godly legacy. I mean, goodness gracious, when you watch, when trust and self-emptying love flow between one generation and the next, it inspires and equips and elevates all of us to an exponentially higher place. And a generational inheritance absolutely terrifies the enemy, so instead he sold us on the idea of generational independence. Only my group, only my class, only my people get it. And we bought it. And he's been playing this game for a very long time. When King Solomon died in the Old Testament, his son Rehoboam took over for him as king. And suddenly a group that his dad had subjected to harsh forced labor approached him and they asked a question, where do we stand? What is it going to look like for our people under your kingdom? And so Rehoboam first, he went to the elders who served with his dad. He went to the people who had age and had experience, and they said this. They said, listen, your dad missed it there. And if you would come and humble yourself right now and give them a favorable answer, these people will follow you all the days of your life. They'll be loyal to you. You can trust them. But the Bible says that Rehoboam was suspicious of their answer. And so he ran instead to his buddies who said, we think it'd be cool if you flex your muscles and show them who's boss. You tell them, oh, you think my dad was bad? I'm going to be much worse to you. So he did. In a dynasty that was promised by God to Abram to be one light of the world, to point to God, a kingdom that stood for 1,200 years crumbled in a day to never recover. That's the poison of suspicion. 
And I watch this today in the global church still. I see on one side the older generations lamenting that, quote, the world is only getting worse as they bemoan millennials and Generation Z. I've heard from afar the tired narrative that Gen Z is lazy and entitled. They have short attention spans. They don't know responsibility. They're the ones giving up on the church. I've been in earshot as I've heard from many saying, well, in my day it wasn't that way. And yet, I've seen so few take responsibility to walk across the room and take them by the hand and actually invest in them and extend their place in the kingdom. I've heard many come and say, well, I don't know how. Then I want to say, then learn. That can't be an excuse anymore. Older generation, we've been in their shoes. It shouldn't be up to the younger generations to elbow their way to their seat at God's table. We have to recover generational mentoring and discipleship. And I want to say this this morning. I thank God that I get to most times just come preach to the choir. Because I'm coming this morning, and goodness gracious, Overflow Church, everywhere I turn, you're doing it. I look on our worship team, and I watch generational discipleship. I look throughout our fine arts. I look throughout our missional communities. I look at our discipleship relationships. I look at all of our ministries, Overflow Student Ministries, our kids' ministry. Everywhere is this cross-pollination of the generations pouring in. I just want to say to you, in the midst of doing it, keep going. It's good. It's worth it. I want to go a little bit further. I want to speak to the 30 and under crowd. I never thought I would leave your crowd, but I've been out of it for a while. 30 and under, can you lift your hands real quick in the room? 30 and under crowd, I want to say something to you. 30 and under crowd, I want to say I thank God for you. I want to say that I see you. I see your passion and I see your courage. I see your willingness to ask new questions when things are broken and to find new strategies. I see the burning desire that can't be casual for Jesus within you to see love established on earth. And I believe with all of my heart, 30 and under, we need the insight God has given you. I want to say to you, we're proud of you. We celebrate you. And I speak as the church, we will not reject you, ignore you, belittle you, or sideline your voice anymore. Somebody say amen. We want to invite you to take your place. But 30 and under, I've got a challenge for you this morning. I've watched way too much in our generation from your generation of this tentative wait and see. I've watched too much standing in the corner after you've been invited. Too much distrust of covering. Too many initiatives that have been built alone by your generation with your buddies that have been passionate but not sustainable that fizzle out because it needs the wisdom and the support of the rest of the body. From your generation, I've also heard whispers about how my generation and the generations ahead of me are rigid and judgmental and they just don't get it. I've heard critical attitudes about the church and adult leaders in the church that I have two problems with. One, most times you're shooting the faithful. Two, you fail to understand that you are the church. It is so necessary for us together to come. And I'm going to say as a church that we are going to be a church where the generations walk together. I want to speak to the 30 and under and say, thank God, I thank you that you're not that. I thank you that you plugged in and said, yes, I will trust my elders and we'll walk together. And I want to say, young generation, old generation, whichever one you want to fool yourself and tell yourself you're in this morning. Together, we need to take the ditch of suspicion and bury it into an unmarked grave as we walk on past it together. 
Our hope is not going to be in subscription, and it's not in suspicion. It will only be in submersion. It will only be as you and I walk fully connected as one diverse body where nobody's idolized, nobody's lifted up as the hero except Jesus. Jesus is the leader of the church. But listen, nobody is set aside as a fool. Doubts and questions and unfinished and unrefined are welcome at the table because we've all got it because that's faith like a child. We're just kids helping each other experience our father better. We've got to learn to listen to each other. In just a minute, we're going to have a moment of healing for that. But the third one is this. If we want to walk free in this age of Wikipedia PhDs, we've got to learn to listen to God, to see his wonder everywhere, to step out of fear. We've got to learn to listen to each other and stop walking in suspicion. But three, you've got to learn to listen to your God-shaped voice. I want you to know this morning that God delights in the spirit that he placed in you. Colossians 1.27, it says this, Christ in you is the hope of glory. You have a unique voice, a unique perspective, unique gifts. There's something you bring the body, and we will be incomplete and immature unless you're here and healthy and confident. I remember when I was writing my first book, when I got to the place to say, it's time and God's put a message on my heart, I felt like there were whole worlds that were within me just bursting to get out. And so I had the joy that I had a friend that had published several books and he had been there and he agreed to meet me for coffee. And so we sat down and he said, how can I help? And then that was the last thing he got to say for about 45 minutes. As I said, well, I want to share this and I want to share this and I want to share this and I want to share this. And finally, when I told him, probably 27 books ideas worth of ideas. He sat back and he smiled. He said, man, I love this. Can I just challenge you one way? And I said, yeah. He said, just remember, you don't have to be the whole symphony and you're not the entire concert. This moment that we're in is just one movement of the song God is writing and we need your notes of your one instrument to play in harmony with everything that's going on around you. He said, just play your part. I can remember the, the joy that I had in that moment of saying I'm part of something much bigger, of walking out knowing that you and I will never grow to maturity in isolation. Because here's the truth. There's more glory than just your gifts. There's more glory than just what you see. But can I give you a second side of that? There's more glory than just your gifts, but there's great glory in your gifts. And we will never be complete or mature until you play your part in harmony with those around you. God said that we're parts of a body. What does that mean? You have a part to play. You have a part to play in this movement, and we need for you to learn to listen to the God-shaped glory inside of you. See, there are things right now that are broken in the world that you see. There are places right now that you think, here in this church or in your family or in your job, if they just did this, we'd be so much stronger. And you're sitting back, getting frustrated, wondering, why don't they see it? Because it's your part to play. And instead of complaining, tune up your instrument and let's go. Right now, there are wonders of the Father that you see that I don't yet see. And that is true for every place your foot is going to step today. And this is what I'm convinced of right now. In an age of 7.5 billion self-proclaimed experts that are so terrified we have to have all the answers because our, our security is in our certainty. Where the church can come and be hope is this. We can come and again learn to listen to God. 
We can walk in diverse community that values each other's voices. And if we'll do that, we will each learn to play our part. And I'm convinced when that happens, the harmony of the music the church will make together will release the hope of heaven. Would you stand with me? As we come to this moment, just to to activate and apply what the Lord is speaking, I want to ask if you could just close your eyes. Because it's not enough for us to hear truth. We've got to take that truth from our head to our heart to our hands and walk it out together. Right now, whether you know it or not, you and I are standing in God's library of creation. And he is speaking out all around you. And he's not saying, keep your head down, stay with your pack. It's scary out there. He's saying, I'm everywhere. Look up, grab my hand, run and be alive. Come find new wonders of me you've never seen and add them to your worldview. So I want to ask the question this morning, with all that going on, would you just center yourself for just a minute? I'm going to ask if you just lay your hand on your heart. We're going to take this truth that's been out there and we're going to make it personal. Where is God calling you to listen? Where is it that you need to recapture the wonder that you put pressure on yourself, that you need to be an expert, a professional Christian, you need to figure it out because people are counting on you? Where is it that God is painting the sunrise and he keeps doing it for you to see? But you're running past it. You aren't hearing him because you're too busy hurrying to get something he's already purchased for you. Would you just tell him, I want to be a kid again? Would somebody tell him that this morning? I just want to be a kid again. I'm sorry for the burdens I put on my shoulders that I thought was you. Your yoke is easy. Your burden is light. You carry the weight. I'm not supposed to have the answers. You're just supposed to have my hand. Somebody received that this morning. I'm not supposed to have the answers. He's just supposed to have my hand. I'll walk with you, Lord. Show me things I've never seen. Where is it this morning you need to relinquish pressure to have the answers, that you have to have life all figured out? Where is it you've been stressed? I can remember there there was this addiction that I wrestled with for a decade, and I'd get in moments like this, and I was like, God, I want to be free. I want to be free. I want to be free. But every time I added something on the end of the prayer, and I said, but when you set me free, show me exactly how you did it. And my reason was good. I said, because I want to go and set other people free. And I got to tell you, every time I prayed that prayer, it was like nothing happened. Finally, after a decade weeping before him, I said, God, I'm helpless. You're my father. I don't need to have answers anymore. I just need you. And it fell immediately. Where do you need to let go of the sin of certainty? Where do you need to go? My security is not going to be in my certainty anymore. My faith is not going to be in my faith. My faith will be in you, Father. And I believe in this big world that you've got me and you delight in me just being a kid and being honest and being present. Where are you walking alone and you need a community of vulnerability? You need to walk with people where you can take the mask off and just be honest. At this time, I want to ask our prayer ministers to come forward because this next question is where I believe the Lord really wants us to camp for a minute. I want to ask where you're carrying suspicion.
I talked about this generation gap, how we've divided between what we've seen before and sometimes the older generation looking down on the younger generation, the younger generation having an extended hand out against the older generation. I'm just going to ask right now, if you've been in a place right now where you've been walking, maybe it's not the generations, maybe it's another group, but you've been looking at a group of people and holding them at an arm's length and the father is coming right now and saying that suspicion needs to fall now. I'm going to ask that you'd come. For some of you, I'm going to ask that you'd come to one of these intercessors. It might be that you're somebody who's older and you see a younger intercessor up here and you need to go to them and say on behalf of one generation to another generation, I just came to repent to you. I'm so sorry that our generation hasn't seen you. I'm going to ask who would be bold to step into a place of healing this morning. I'm going to ask where we can move and say, I'm not just going to keep to to my stuff and my ways anymore. In fact, I'm going to ask right now, if I could have um, Ben Truslow and John Ward, if you could join me on the platform. I believe the Father wants to provide deep healing for places where we've been untrusting. And so these two men are dear friends of mine. I've walked with them and seen the depth, and I'll tell you honestly, I don't even know if they've had the opportunity to meet each other. But it was your faces that I saw this morning. And what I feel the Lord wants to do is from the member of one generation and a member of another generation, I believe you're supposed to embrace each other and in this moment, just you and God to begin speaking blessings over one another. Would you trust me enough to do that? Yes, sir. All right, you guys go ahead. And what I'm going to ask is, listen, this is a picture of what the church needs to be. This is a picture of what the church needs to be. And they're not the only ones this morning. So I'm not trying to call us out, but I am trying to call us up. So I'm going to say, who's next? Who else? Who's next? Who else? And there might not be somebody in this room. I'm not saying somebody's offended you, but you know I've been standing in the shadows. So I'm going to say this younger generation, if you're one of the ones and you said, I've been standing in the shadows and sometimes it's just wrestling with my own junk, but I'm hearing today that you're saying it's time for me to step up and fully take my place in the body. I'm going to ask you to come forward. If that's you, I'm going to ask you to move. If God is saying 30 and under crowd that you've been standing back in the shadows, that you've been waiting, that it's been watch and see, and now he's saying now is the time, I'm going to ask you to move. I'm going to ask older generation, if you've been at the place that you've been looking and there's been suspicion or distrust or just that anxiety and that nervousness, if you've been one of those saying, yeah, come on, man, come on, yes. If you've been one of those saying, I don't know how. I don't know how to reach out. Yes, come on, come on. See, I don't know how to train them up. I need to lay down. Listen, older generation, I'm, I'm not calling you out, but I'm calling you up. You've been at the place where you said, I've been helpless. I've been at the place of just saying, I don't know what to do. I don't know what to say. I don't know where to go. And so it's never been my heart, but I have not invested in the younger generation the way I need to because I didn't know. And I'm ready to lay that down now and make the declaration that I'm going to learn. I'm going to call you out to one of these intercessors right now, that you would come forward right now that you would step out of your seat and say, you know what, I'm making a dedication today before the Lord that I'm going to figure it out a step at a time and we're going to walk as one church together. As they come for every other person in the room, what I'm going to ask is that you would allow the Lord to speak to you, that right now you would pray for one church that would be united among the generations, that right now we would say, we're not going to be two separate churches. We're not going to be a younger faction of the church and an older faction of the church. We're going to be the church together. 
Right now, where is God calling you to move? If you're one that you've said, you know what, I'm walking at this place and I know that God's calling me to disciple or mentor or do something with the younger generation. I don't even know how, but I'm in. I'm going to ask you to step out from your seat. Father, I ask that you would speak to us right now. I ask that the healing that you desire between the generations, that it would come deeply. We ask that suspicion would be buried in an unmarked grave. That you would come to the place to bring us together as one. If you're there in your seat and you see somebody around you from the other generation, I'm just going to ask that you would just reach out and just lay your hand on them and that you would begin just to to pray blessings over them. I'm just going to ask all across this room, wherever you're at, if you see somebody, younger generation, this is your chance. You're not going to stand in the shadows. Younger generation, if you need to get out of your seat and walk to somebody because you're around just your age and your people, I'm going to ask right now all over the room, that you come, and whether the Lord gives you something to say out loud or not, doesn't matter. You lift it up to the Lord. Then I'm going to ask all around this room that you just begin to speak blessing over one another. I bless you. I bless you. We need you. Oh, man, what it would be for the younger generation to walk to somebody, the older generation, and look them in the eye and say, we need you. What it would be for the older generation to look into somebody in the younger generation that they're being bullied all the time by the enemy coming in and saying their voice doesn't matter. And you look and you say, I see you. We need you. Father, right now, would you bring us together as one? I just want to stay in this moment here. I believe that, that blessing is the language of heaven. And I believe there's great power when we respond. So wherever you're at, I'm just going to ask that you put the hand on somebody from an older generation or a younger. If you get done putting your hand on them, I'm going to ask you to reach out to somebody else and just put your hand on them. And Father, I pray that you would bless them. Father, make us one. We're just going to stay here for just a minute. Father, would you make us one? Father, would you make us one? As we stay in this moment, I just want to say, Overflow Church, I bless you. God is building heaven on earth. I bless you. It is the greatest joy to be able to stand forth. And when I see the things that God is saying that he wants to walk into fullness, I see you're the mirror, Overflow Church. You're running it out. You're walking it out. You're believing it. You're walking. So I speak any heaviness off of you, that you would walk in great joy of the fullness of our maturity together. Oh, Jesus, I thank you for what you're building. I thank you for the church that you are building. Thank you for a church that is one. This morning as we're here, we even have the joy that there's a number of people from our Overflow family that aren't in the building today because they've been called out on mission. Our own Janelle Stogdale got her short play that's a play all about restoration and healing entered in the Tampa Bay um, um, theater festival and she's at the stress center right now as we're speaking and in the midst of performing right in the marketplace and so a number of people from Overflow Church went to just cheer her on and so would you just join me right now Jesus you just show up through your daughter Janelle let this be the greatest joy I thank you for Christ and Janelle the hope of glory Father, even as they go right now, even as some of our pastors are there with her, just lifting their hands, we just join with them. We say, thank you, Father. Thank you for the diversity of the saints. 
Thank you, Father, for the joy and the hope that they're bringing right now that we collectively get to bring to our city. I ask right now that there be lives in that room you would change. I don't believe that you waste a thing. I believe that there are people right now dealing with unspeakable grief in that room and something is going to break in their life because you gave a message from heaven to your daughter Janelle. We say, yes, come and do it. I thank you, Father, that you will build your church and nothing can ever, ever, ever stand against it. If you're in the midst of ministry, you could just stay right in that moment for a moment. But Father, we ask right now that you would take and seal all of these things. Make your church one. If you agree with that, would you say amen?